Welcome to the Semper Reformata podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. I think we're coming into a period of difficulty in the world. Peter's letter is about persecution and even in the passage that we read in chapter 4 and chapter 5, you'll have noticed the continual use of the word suffering. Suffer. The difference between suffering for Christ and suffering in the world. If any man suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. In verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange, concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. Suffering will come. And it is part of God's judgment, for we're clearly told in verse 17 that judgment must begin at the house of God. So, For the next two or three weeks, God willing, I'm going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and I'm going to examine myself in the light of it. And I'm going to ask that God's judgment would begin in the house of God, among the people of God, that he would sift us through his word so that we will not be unprepared when suffering comes, as I think it will. I think if we underestimate what lies before us, um, we will be surprised when it does happen and we will be taken unawares. We must prepare ourselves. We must ask God to prepare us for what lies ahead. I think if we have been watching the and listening to the news over the past week, we will realize that our government is not in charge of our affairs. There are far more sinister forces at work. Far more sinister forces. When a prime minister can be told to dispose of her chancellor of the exchequer, and told who to replace him with, we have to ask the question, who's doing this? And why? And what is their agenda? And we know from what we're taught in First Peter that we have an enemy. And the enemy is the devil. And he is as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. And in these Western nations in which we live, given the state of government and the trajectory of government, and given the the decline in morality and in standards, we see the work of the devil. Satan is at work. And we need to be ready. And so we must follow God's word 
And we must allow judgment to begin at the house of God. We must look at ourselves and examine ourselves in the light of God's word. We're warned in verse 18, If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore let them that suffer, there's that word again, suffer according to the will of God. Remember that all of these things when they happen are part of God's sovereign plan. Nothing's out of control in this world. According to the will of God, commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as to a faithful creator. So, we're going to look through the lens of judgment upon myself, and it's up to you, upon yourself. And we're going to look at that from the perspective of, that's given in chapter 5, the, the words that follow after the warning that we have just read, the warnings about suffering. And we're going to look at church leaders tonight, and church members and Christians next week. And we're going to look at our enemies. And these people are living under serious threat. They are living under the threat of death, the people that Peter is writing to. Death by severe persecution. And I think that in times of difficulty, in times of national crisis, in times when the world around us is in turmoil and upheaval, we need strong pastoral care. We need church leaders who will encourage us and pray for us and who will weep with us in times of suffering. We need pastors and elders. So it's no coincidence that this letter written to prepare Christians for this suffering to come, includes an exhortation to elders to do the work for which they are called. So I've been reading it, and I've been weighing myself up against chapter 5, verse 1 to 4. Let me share my thoughts with you. The first thing that we see in chapter 5, is that we have a collective charge to elders. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Let me get into my head first of all who Peter has in mind here. Who are these elders? Well, they're not necessarily old people. The Greek text describes them as presbyterios. And then later in verse 2, another word is used, the word derived from episkopos, episcopoutes. It's a hard one to pronounce. They are the overseers. They are the spiritual leaders and the guides whom Christ has set in his church. They are elders and they are shepherds. And Peter is advising them and exhorting them in their work. 
And he's doing so because he is one of them. He says, the elders which are among you, I exhort who am also an elder. This business of loving and caring for the flock of God is Peter's work, as much as it is theirs. He's writing to them, writing as a pastor to fellow pastors. He's not lording it over them. He's not speaking down to them. He's not issuing a directive or an edict or even a papal bull. He's not the first pope, the Roman Catholics falsely believe. He's just a simple pastor writing to his fellow workers. Matthew Henry writes here how different the spirit and behavior of Peter is from that of his pretended successors. He does not command and domineer, but exhorts. He does not claim sovereignty over all pastors and churches. He does not style himself the prince of the apostles or the vicar of Christ or the head of the church. He values himself upon being an elder. And yet at the same time, we have to understand that Peter is an apostle. There is a difference in Peter's ministry. He is a direct ambassador of Christ. And he makes this point. He says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He was there when Jesus died. He knew the Savior on this earth. So that's the unique qualification of an elder. That's the unique qualification of an apostle. He is an eyewitness of the resurrection. He was in the school of Christ. He was commissioned by Christ. He was the witness of the resurrection of Christ. Well, you can immediately see why modern claims to be apostles are false. And he will be with his people one day in glory. Paul will be a part, or Peter here will be a partaker of the glory that lies ahead for the saints, for those who suffer, for the martyrs of every age, for every Christian. He says, I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He will be in heaven, but so will we. Peter will meet these elders again. He'll meet them in glory. And so he exhorts them in their tasks to remember to look ahead, to remember that when suffering comes in this world, that there is heaven and glory lying ahead for those who are faithful to Christ. And he will return to this encouragement later in the chapter. But it's a good reminder for pastors and elders and for all of us that this world is not our final home. In the midst of the sufferings of this age, there is hope that there is an age to come for all of us in which there will be no suffering. So Peter has every right to talk to us today by extension through God's word as he talked in this letter to 
to the people of his day. He's a shepherd. He has the same responsibilities as these shepherds to whom he is speaking. He's doing the same work. And yet as an apostle, he is speaking to us with the divine authority of Christ. So, what words of exhortation and encouragement will he give to us? Elders, collective charge. The elders' chief concerns is in verse 2. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. What's the duties of these shepherds? In verse 2 he's using this term, uh, episcopoites, shepherd of the flock. He's to shepherd the flock by leading and feeding them and shielding them. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. Taking the oversight. An eastern shepherd had very clearly laid out responsibilities. The shepherd would lead the flock. The eastern shepherd didn't ever drive the flock like a farmer here in Northern Ireland would. If you've ever watched One Man and His Dog, television program, you'll see a shepherd standing at the side of the field, maybe with a whistle, sometimes just with his voice, or her voice sometimes, and he'd have a very clever dog, and the dog will manoeuvre the sheep into a pen. And it's marvellous to watch. But how much more marvellous would it have been to watch an eastern shepherd who would do it entirely differently. He would simply walk into the pen and the sheep would follow him. He had a relationship with the sheep. A relationship where the sheep knew the shepherd and they recognised his voice and they followed him wherever he went. And that's the task of the elder here in First Peter chapter 5. To establish a relationship with his flock so that they will follow him and so that they will trust him. When I went to my first church back in 1986, somebody gave me some wise advice. He said to me, you know, they're wild throng people, these Christians. You'll never drive them, but you can lead them. I, I, I'm not convinced I ever succeeded in doing it. Shepherd of the flock leads the flock. And he feeds the flock. Feed the flock of God which is among you. It's the role of anyone who loves the flock. It would be a sin to allow the flock to starve. They must be fed. And they must be fed with the finest of food. It is the shepherd's role to nourish the flock spiritually with the word of God. In fact, Paul teaches us that one of the qualities of an elder is that he must be apt to teach in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 2. And the shepherd is to protect the flock. 
importance of that can't be overstated. In these days of suffering, and whenever there is so much immorality in the world, whenever there is death and destruction, what was it we learned this week? That over 4,000 unborn babies have been sacrificed, put to death on the altar of human convenience. This week, this since we learned that this week, and those figures from, from abortion was allowed in Northern Ireland. And with that kind of moral decline, and with the decline in sexual ethics, and with children being taken into school and taught about gender fluidity, it was never, there never has been a time like this time for pastors to defend their flock. The importance of it cannot be overstated. These ancient shepherds, they lived in a wild environment. They lived in a dangerous environment. At night, they would bring the flock into the sheepfold and they would literally sleep across the gate so that thieves couldn't enter and steal the sheep, so that wild animals and wild beasts Attacking the sheep could be warded off, and they did it at the risk of their own lives. This job of being a shepherd is a total commitment. Paul warned the Ephesian elders about this. He said to them that after his departure, ravenous wolves would come in among them, not sparing the flock. It's dangerous activity, being a shepherd. You're putting yourself onto the front line. You're standing up in front of the sheep and trying to prevent the world from attacking them. And yet, you must volunteer for the task. Despite the enormity of this overseer, shepherd, elder's task, Peter tells them here that they are to volunteer for it. They're not to do it by constraint in verse 2, but willingly. And they're not to do it for earthly reward. Not for dishonest gain. One modern version says they're to do it eagerly. He doesn't say that the elder is to get no financial reward. There's a biblical principle, of course, that a laborer is worthy of his hire. But what he does say is that the elder or the shepherd is not to use his position to get rich or to make a dishonest gain from the flock. There are pastors and leaders out there who are conning money out of their flock I wonder, are you thinking of people like Benny Hinn or Joel Osteen or Kenneth Copeland, the, the money-grubbing evangelists of Christian TV? But this warning comes much closer home. George Swinnock, who was a little-known 17th-century nonconformist Puritan, who was ejected from his pulpit in 1662, the time of the great ejectment, wrote a book called The Christian Man's Calling. And he writes, I desire that I might not use preaching 
as a thief uses a picklock to open people's wallets, but as a key to open their hearts. So the truth of God and the God of truth might enter in. Oh, that I might not seek my people's needs, their goods, but their good, not my profit, but their profit. Lord, let this design lie at the bottom of my heart in every act of my office. Money is not an issue for shepherds. They don't do it for earthly reward. They don't abuse the flock. Look again at verse 2. Not by constraint, but willingly, not by, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage. Not to lord it over the flock. So very easy for us to become abusive, to browbeat the flock continually. To berate them from the pulpit for their lack of giving. To complain about their lack of commitment or their lack of prayer. I know of places where people go to church every week and instead of hearing the glorious gospel, instead of sermons that point them to Christ or sermons that bring them to repentance over their sin, they will hear sermons week after week after week about how poor they are at being a, a Christian and how they have to clean up their lives and, and rededicate themselves and lay their all on the altar and let go and let God. And they get that week after week until they are abused into knowing and thinking that they are worthless. Not in a good sense but in the sense that they leave the building thinking, I'm useless to God and I can do nothing. Instead of sermons that exalt the Lord Jesus, pastors are not to abuse the flock. They're not to do it for earthly reward. They're to do it by example. Here's Swinnock again. I want to be like John the Baptist. A burning light in my sermons, a shining light in my actions. May my works never undermine my words. May I never direct others in the right way while failing to walk in it myself. Oh, that I might preach as powerfully with my life as with my lips. Paul also believed that preaching and example are closely related. Philippians 3 and verse 17 he tells the Christians to join in imitating him and keeping their eyes on those who walk according to the example that they have in the, in the apostles. In 1 Corinthians 3 and 11 and verse 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So we have an elder's collective charge the elders chief concerns and finally the elders comfort and compensation verse 4 when the chief shepherd shall appear ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away 
There's no earthly reward for this hard labor. So we're thinking there is. When I was able to, I worked for full time in the photography business and ran my own studio. And I went to take photographs at a wedding. And I met there a photographer who was working at another wedding. One of these venues with multiple weddings going on at the same time. And in a bit of a break, he came over to me with a sneering look on his face. He says, you're a minister. I says, I am. How would you like it, his exact words? How would you like it if I came out on a Sunday and did a bit of monkery? I said he was a Catholic. I hadn't a clue what he was talking about. Somebody else had to explain it to me. Oh, he thinks you're earning a big salary as a minister and you're only doing this to top up your income, give you a better standard of living. If I'd caught on in time, I'd have said to him, you're more than welcome. You're more than welcome to come and if you think that you want to preach the gospel and you want to do what I'm doing, you do it. You won't get any money for it. No earthly reward for this. Not in the sense that the world would understand it. But there's a far greater compensation. There's three really important compensations to defending and leading and feeding the flock. And one is that we have our own over-shepherd in Christ. There is a chief shepherd in verse 4. The elder's role as a shepherd is only a pale reflection of the work of Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, the one who loves the sheep, the one whom when the sheep hear his voice, they follow him, the one who gave his life for the sheep. John 10, we read this summary of the good shepherd's work. Verse 11 in that chapter, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and have known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. <clears throat> and this great shepherd is the one of the 23rd Psalm who restores our souls, who brings us his peace and his protection and his prosperity all through our life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We have an over-shepherd looking after us. And we have the promise of the Lord's return, verse 4, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, in the midst of their great persecution, in the midst of all the suffering, the Christians of Peter's letter and their elders and their pastors have a hope 
that one day our Savior, the Lord Jesus, will return and he will reward his faithful people and judge the sinful world. Not only do we have an over-shepherd and the promise of the Lord's return, but there is a crown waiting for us in glory. Verse 4, he shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. These faithful elders, Peter's dead. Those who have faithfully discharged their calling before the Lord. And I say before the Lord because that's who we answer to. Not to the people who watch us. Discharged our calling before the Lord will receive something that is far better than all the earthly temporal blessings of the world an everlasting crown. The kingdoms of the world will wither and fade and die. The Roman Empire that was oppressing the believers of Peter's day has long gone. But the kingdom of God will endure forever. And within that kingdom there awaits an eternal reward for the faithful given to us by the Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the flock. So eldership and church leadership of any description is never easy. It's something that we're encouraged to do. And it's difficult work. We're to feed the flock of God and we're to lead them and shield them. And we're to do it willingly, volunteering for the task. And we're to do it in such a way that we'll not be looking for any earthly reward as a motivation. And we're never to abuse the flock, but to be a good example to them. And yet we do it all knowing that we have an over-shepherd who watches over us and keeps us. That he will one day come to take us home and that there is a crown of glory awaiting for us in heaven. Eldership, leadership, Christian work in these days of suffering will not be easy. But there are great rewards. So what have we learned? Peter is writing to spur on the men who lead the flock in days when they are facing persecution and suffering. He's encouraging them to do the work to which they've been called, to be shepherds of the flock, to feed the flock and to lead them. He's not handing down orders. He's not issuing a papal writ. He's just simply speaking to them as a fellow elder, knowing that they don't have an easy job in these end times, and bringing them the encouragement of knowing that they are serving the one who is the great shepherd, who has promised to return for his people, and who will himself reward them if they remain faithful.
Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.